0: I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to a time where they had the last laugh.
1: And I start walking home, and in my head, I'm like, okay, so I'm on the same wage next week. If someone else leaves without paying, I'm, in, I'm not making any money again. I yeah. was like, I don't want to work for this guy so I just didn't turn up the next day and I get a phone call frantically and he's like, where are you? You're supposed to be here. You're in every day this week. I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I quit. So, like happy days. yeah.
0: Nicely done. Have you ever returned to that petrol station?
1: Uh, yeah, I go there every, every day. <laughs>
0: You're like, it's the only one in the I'm town. Going,
1: I'm going in a bit. can you give me a change for a few fifties? <laughs>
0: Author, speaker and high-performance coach Pat Dively is my guest this week. He talks to me about growing up in Limerick and Galway, bouncing back from business failure and how he found his confidence through sport. I hope you enjoy. Pat Divley, you're extremely welcome to the last of your life.
1: Thank you Darren Gary I was telling you it's my second time doing this this week because I've been practicing with my friends
0: <laughs> tell me about that so what happened
1: we were on Kilimanjaro a couple of days ago as so you just do. got back as you do <laughs> and I had a group of 20 out there so shout out to those people if they're listening mm-hmm. and they do listen because uh, we were going up the mountain. We started talking about podcasts. Some of the girls mentioned your podcast. I said, I think I'm going on that at some stage. So I said, Oh, let's practice on the mountain. Because <laughs> you got no Wi Fi on the mountains. You got a lot of headspace and a lot of downtime and a lot of bad jokes. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so it was good. And. Uh, you know what I'm like. I'll probably go completely off the cuff today and go <laughs> off script. So, but yeah, it was good.
0: Is Kilimanjaro one of the ones where you have to like climatize? You have to go up, down, up, down. Yeah, it so is. we're
1: like not even up, down, up, down, but there's a little bit of that. But you go up a couple hundred meters every day, and then lots of downtime and wait for the headaches to come. But it's pretty accessible.
0: You have to be very comfortable with the people around you, don't you? I like.
1: Yeah, and I didn't know any of them before going out <laughs> there. And they're like clients that I put together. So, but it was an amazing group. So we're very lucky and. Uh, yeah, it was a good reminder of the importance of putting down the phone, which I talk about all the time and I'm awful for it. I'm always on my phone. I'm addicted to my phone. But when you're on the mountain for seven days and you've got no, um, no Wi-Fi, you yeah. have to sit around and tell stories and tell jokes and play games and there's something to that. It was it was cool.
0: Yeah. So mentally, it, it did wonders, not just physically.
1: Yeah, I think the so and getting to the top was only just like one small part of it, but the connections and stuff like that, you really bond with people quickly when you're in that environment too, because you're sleeping in tents and nobody's looking pretty. No yeah, offence yeah. no to any of the guys. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good.
0: Cool. It's actually great because the only way is up then, you know, when you when you get glammed up. <laughs> I often think that about social media. Like, why would you face-tune your photos? Because you're such a letdown in real life. I, uh, I'd rather be like great in real life, not that I am, but you know what I mean, then better in a photo.
1: People tell me that like you look younger in person. I'm like, I don't know how to take that, but <laughs> thank great. you, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> OK, Pat, let us begin. Uh, your first memory of laughter.
1: Yeah, so I think I'm going to expose myself as being a weirdo on this podcast because I don't say the answers you uh, that I sh- probably should. I grew up in Limerick, so I, I was in Limerick till I was seven or eight or nine, somewhere around there, and grew up in an estate in Limerick, so it was a lot of young families and young kids. We'd all play on the green, football or whatever else, and I don't know what games kids play anymore. I don't know if they play games, and I don't know if this game was a game or if we just made it up. Just own it, Pat. We had a game called Dead Man Off the Wall. No,
0: no, I didn't play that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, yeah. was just you.
1: If anybody <laughs> has played this game, tag me on Instagram. <laughs> So, Dead Man Off the Wall was, everybody stood on a wall, and one person was the executioner. I don't think this is very appropriate this for your so audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So dark. <laughs> and the executioner would say, what's your name and what you want to be killed by? It was like Silla Black. What's your name and where'd you come from? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> And so you say, oh, I'm patting. I want to be killed by a rock. And the executioner would pretend to throw a rock at you. You'd fall off the wall. You'd play dead. And each person would do this. So you might have seven people. And then at the end, the executioner would walk around and they'd look at you real close and check for vitals. Are you moving? Are you shaking? Are you making any noise? And the last person not to make any noise or move won. Stupid game. But it's actually kind of cool. My memories of laughter were just the person's coming up real close to you and they're checking. You're trying not to move. And then you hear your friend in the background starting to skit a little bit and laugh a little bit. And you're just trying to hold it in. It was all those kind of things trying to hold it in <laughs> or knickknack and knocking on people's houses, running away and the parents chase you around the estate and then you're hid behind a big uh, tree <laughs> and you're a kid. So you think, oh, this is genius. Like I'm com- completely hidden here. And the parent is just on the far side of the tree saying, I can see you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's, again, to... that's a normal game. <laughs> that's okay, that's when everyone played.
1: <laughs> yeah, dead man off the wall. I was like, what is this? Um, you know, what I think it's interesting about this podcast and that question in particular is like, it's not what happened in your life. It's what you perceive to have happened. So like yes. all the kids on that estate probably have a completely different story about that game. Yeah. That, um, And the meanings that we attach to things, that's what I do in my work now with the speaking and stuff, is talking to people about the meaning you attach to something is what's important. Like you could have two people grow up in the same household with an alcoholic parent. One attaches the meaning, I'm never going to drink again in my life because I've seen this. The other attaches the meaning, that's how people are. So its I thought about that and I was like... That's probably not a clear reflection of what actually happened yeah, yeah. on the estate. But yeah. that's what I remember. So
0: I suppose it's the, the typical cliche thing of rose-tinted glasses. But then it goes the other way for some people.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Not, you, not necessarily the nicest memories.
1: Yeah, because when you're a kid, you don't have that logical part of the brain that thinks things through. And see, it's quite kind of the emotional part of the brain. So something that's a uh, positive experience, very positive or very negative, that's the stuff you remember. What was childhood like for you? Um... I, I lacked confidence and I started school a little bit younger than most. And I think I was excluded from the group then and, and bullied quite a bit. And like that, I think when I was bullied, I attached a meaning that um, I'm an outcast or I'm an outsider. And, and when you have that meaning, you go into interactions with that thought in your mind before you even mm. you, you have the interaction. So we moved from Limerick to Galway and then I would have experienced a little bit more of that and then I got in with the cool group.
0: How'd you do that? you were like, hey guys, I have this cool game. It's called Dead Man.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's up, guys? Up, up on the wall you go. All these Galway heads looking at me like, what is this guy? Um, how did I do that? I don't know. I think I was a bit, I think I was funny in a weird way. Mm. Um, but I think I had in the back of my mind that they're going to find out. Like that imposter syndrome thing. I was like, okay, they think I'm cool, but, you know, I better keep up the facade. Otherwise they're going to find out. So, it's, But yeah, childhood was good apart from that.
0: Um, how many siblings? I
1: have two brothers and a sister. So my sister is a big fan of yours. Is she? she? I think so. Tell <laughs> her I say hey. <laughs> or else she really doesn't like you. It. It's one of the same. Uh, sister is uh, 30 and then my brothers are 27 and 19.
0: And where do you come in that?
1: I'm the oldest. Oh, so right, I'm 32, okay. yeah. So I'm pushing on now. And uh, we got on really well. We got on, yeah, really good. And uh, yeah.
0: Well, it's, well, I suppose the bullying side of things leads into this. So the first time, Pat, that you felt laughed at?
1: Yeah, that would have been it, going into primary school, a little bit younger and um, being the youngest in the class. And then you look back at these things and you're like, it's so silly in retrospect. But just little things of, of being excluded and feeling like an outcast and, you know, being made a fool of because you're the youngest and stuff like that. I think it's those things. And, uh, you know, I talk about it now in the seminars, the same thing that Something happens you, and when it's emotionally charged, you tend to replay it in your head a lot of times. So in retrospect, again, if I went back, I probably wasn't bullied all that much, but I replayed it in my head millions of times, yeah. and it gets more dramatic every time. Yeah, it's like add special effects and close-ups and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that will be the earliest memory of being laughed at, I think.
0: And were you shy? Were you were you shy when you were younger? Because obviously, I've listened to you so many times speak at Bio.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Shout out to Pio, And, uh, and it, it's, I know that you talk about anxiety and, you know, maybe just feeling lacking in self-confidence or self-esteem. Was that something you had when you were younger?
1: Yeah. And it's only, I would say it's only the last three or four years that I've got comfortable in myself. Um, and that's an ongoing thing. There's times where it's definitely not the case. But, yeah, early days, um, shy. um, My parents are quite quiet and so we would have been raised to like be quiet and not stand out too much and stuff like that. And then you become the quieter person in the group and then it's hard to find your voice. So little things like that. And then the little experiences of being bullied or or feeling like um, then moving from Limerick to Galway, now you're the new kid. So there was always those kind of themes. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to secondary school, I went to a school where everyone else in the school had been to the primary school. Right. And there was two of us out of 100 that hadn't. Right. But I found myself in secondary school, I think through sport and stuff like that. Um. But shyness was definitely I'm an introvert at heart. Um, I'm good with people one to one or I can do okay with people one to one or I can do the stage stuff, which people find strange, like being able to stand up in front of a room. But I find it hard in a group sometimes. Okay, I don't feel the need to talk unless there's something to say. Yeah, my my,
0: mom always says um, smart people talk because they have something to say. Dumb people talk because they have to say something.
1: <laughs> I don't think Claire Gary was talking about me when she was <laughs> saying that. <laughs> she but. said that is exactly about Pat yeah, yeah. Cheers, Claire.
0: <laughs> no, it's true, though. Like, only yeah. speaking if you have something to say. Um, you casually threw in there at the start that you climbed Kilimanjaro the other day. Mm. Um, so, sport's been important to you. I know, so, so Avian's husband, John, is also a mountaineer. He's done his, his Everest thing. And he wasn't sporty at all when he was younger. Yeah. Um, but you were.
1: Yeah, when I got to secondary school, I started playing, um, actually started doing martial arts, which was the first thing that really gave me confidence. Oh, so again, you
0: started that in school?
1: Yeah, I, I did a lot of team sports growing up and it was kind of my parents encouraging me, or forcing me <laughs> to go and do things <laughs> because they wanted me to meet friends and all this kind of stuff. But I never really took to the team sports um, because, again, I had this story in my head that I'm not part of the group or whatever. And that was just a recurring theme that I built up in my head but when I started martial arts it was the first thing that gave me confidence and and then I started lifting weights when I was 14 or 15 I joined the gym and uh, that just became everything to me um, it's funny there is a website up now I'm exposing myself here but there's I got into the internet when I was young and I got into wrestling, professional wrestling. And I built a wrestling website when I was 12. Stop! It's still up there on my dad's Aircom account. What? And the last post on it says, guys, due to a hectic time schedule, (laughs) I'm going to have to sell the website or we'll take 20 euro or the closest (laughs) offer. it's like... (laughs) And it's just a load of pictures of the like babes of wrestling and all, <laughs> all yes! the good looking wrestling. I'm oh like, my
0: God, can we do a swipe up blink on it?
1: <laughs> Please do. <laughs> no, actually don't do that. Jesus <laughs>
0: <God>. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, Pat, um, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry.
1: Yeah, okay. So a couple of years ago, I joined a business networking group over in the States. And if you're a small business owner or you're... suppose any kind of work where you're working for yourself it can be lonely at times or it can be there's moments of self-doubt and so this group was about coming together a couple of times a year set some goals um address any struggles you're having and hopefully the group can help you and as part of that we'd go and do cool adventures which was a nice kind of element to it and one of them was to go to necker island to richard branson's private island so richard branson was my hero um growing up i'm like this guy's adventurous he's charitable he's fun he doesn't take himself too seriously grows amazing businesses so i just had a magic week that week i got the late late show on friday which was a huge thing for me um, because you know we'll probably get into it in a bit but I, I had had such failures in my life and felt such shame in my life that i said if i get the late late show i've done something because if you're irish and you get there i get to bring my parents so i did the late Late show on the friday and i flew out to see branson on the saturday so i land on the island to get my photo with richard and and we do an obstacle course around the island and it's all very cool but then I started having this imposter syndrome in, inside of me again. I'm like, I don't deserve to be here. Like, I'm gonna get found out. Someone's just gonna point to me at dinner and be like, what's that guy doing here? You know, it's just <laughs> like, this is too much. Like, I'm a guy from Galway. I've got this business, but what am I doing here? And so there's a free bar and I do what we all do, you know, or a lot of us do to, to feel socially comfortable. I start tipping away at the drinks during the day and Necker Island, everything is free. So you just take whatever you want, you know, and I'm drinking and drinking and drinking and it's hot. And the end of the night is blurry. But the next morning I wake up and I've lost my shoes and my flip-flops, my backpack, my money, my credit cards. I've lost everything. My dignity. Everything. <laughs> dignity, definitely. Uh, the only thing I've left is my passport. And uh, we're getting off the island that day. So most of the group have left. There's one woman left and me. And I'm like... I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to borrow your flip-flops. I'll send them back to you when I get back to Ireland. Like I'm not going to the airport with no flip-flops. So she gives me these really (laughs) feminine-looking pair of flip-flops. And I like squeeze into them. I'm like, this is a disaster. We get to the airport. It's one of these really small planes. And the pilot's all preppy. And he's like, hey, it's just you and this family. So you can sit next to me here in the plane. I'm absolutely not in a good state. There's no toilet on the plane. I'm like, I'm going to need the toilet. I'm going to need to get sick. This is not good. (laughs) And so I sit next to the pilot. He's flying over beautiful islands and like picturesque, like something off Instagram. And I'm just thinking this should be a bucket list moment, but I just <laughs> don't want to get sick here. And we land in Puerto Rico. And again, I've just got my flip flops and my passport trying to get back to Ireland. No credit cards, no money, no contacts, what? no nothing. Disaster. So I get to the airport and there's a hotel at the airport and I, I get on a computer and I message my friend back home. I'm like, you've got to book me a room in a hotel. I can't fly until tomorrow. I can't face sleeping in the airport. Please book me a room. I'll pay you back when I get home. So, unbeknownst to me, she messages the hotel and says, I want to book a room for my friend. He's wearing women's flip flops. Please make a good show of him when he arrives. No. So, I sheepishly walk into this hotel. I'm like, hello, I think I've got a reservation. And all the girls behind the desk just take a step back and just start laughing at me. (laughs) And I'm just like, this is a disaster. I have to laugh at myself. I slept it off, got back to Dublin, and uh, again got the head down when I got into Dublin Airport. It says, "I hope I don't meet anyone I know." Sure, so that, that
0: now that's a story.
1: That was a that's a, a story and a half. That was an experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pat, uh, your no laughing matter moment in life.
1: Um, I always told the story about. So I moved to Dublin when I was 21 with these uh, ambitions of becoming a successful fitness trainer. And at that time, there was only two guys in the country that were kind of making a living from fitness, as far as I could see. And that was Carl Henry from mm-hmm. Operation Transformation and Paul Byrne, um, Body Byrne. Yeah. So these guys, I wanted to be like them. So I, I came up here, came from Galway, I had this thing in my mind. And again, it probably stemmed from lacking confidence when I was younger. I was like, I'm going to be successful and then I'll believe in myself and other people will believe in me. And I wanted to be an achiever. It came from like sense of a lack of uh, self-esteem. A lot of us do that. I'll, I'll do things outside of myself and then eventually I'll feel good at myself. So I came to Dublin. I, I struggled for 18 months to get a business off the ground. Um, I, I didn't want to go home with my tail between my legs because everyone had said it's not going to work out for you. And eventually uh, Christmas Eve came. I was working in a clothes shop, which I hadn't told anyone back home. Um, I was letting on that I was doing really well. So I used to train all the models in Dublin for free. And my friends online would see Pat's training models, Pat never comes home to Galway, Pat's made it. That was their perception. So Instagram versus reality yeah. back before Instagram. And uh, I remember my, one of my best friend's mums came into the clothes shop where I was working just before Christmas to do the Christmas shopping. she came come up to Dublin and her jaw dropped when she saw me. She's like, what are you doing here? I thought you were. And I was like, please don't tell my friends. Aww. And then Christmas, day, or Christmas Eve came. My dad rang me up and I'm working in the clothes shop. And he's like, when are you coming home to see your family? And I just broke down in the shop. I was like... I don't have the money for the bus home. I've kind of been letting on that I'm doing better than I'm doing. I'm going to have to borrow the, mo- the money home or to get home. Um, so that was a low point. But even prior to that, there was a night in Dublin where I was just completely lost. And and um, again, didn't want to go back having failed, um, but didn't have any other options. I had borrowed money from everyone I could borrow money from. I was struggling with my mental health. Um, I didn't know how to handle emotions or feelings. I, I felt a lot of shame because my family had supported me up to that point. And I felt I should be successful. I should have achieved things by then. And there was a night in Dublin where I walked down to the docks and I looked in the water and I just thought, I don't need to be here anymore, as as sad as that seems. And um, I was just completely lost and I just didn't know what to do. And uh, and I didn't know where to turn. And I rang my dad. I walked around the city for hours that night because I had this energy in my body, like anxiety, not knowing what to do to scream or to run or just couldn't get rid of it and walked for hours and just found myself at the docks and I was thinking, this is, I don't know what to do. And I rang my dad and and my dad came to Dublin the next day and took me out to lunch and tried to convince me things would be okay and tried to convince me to come home. You know, he was so worried about me, obviously, and he didn't like seeing me in that state. Um, And I still wouldn't come home. So then fast forward to the Christmas Eve, came back and I cried for three hours on a bus home. And when you go from Dublin to your hometown, you meet every Tom, Dick and Harry you grew up with. And then my mum's birthday is Christmas Day. I like cried into a birthday card saying I'll take you out to lunch when things get better. And then I spent six months just struggling, you know, feeling like a failure and feeling this sense of shame that I mentioned. And but
0: yeah. you were so young then. So what? What age were you then? Uh, Twenty-four. So where did that pressure come from? Was it just on yourself?
1: Yeah, I've always been into my goal setting and all this stuff. And I think since I was 10 or 11, I was writing down what I want to do. And I was always writing things down. There's
0: immense mm-hmm. pressure to put on yourself at that age to be yeah. properly successful.
1: I have so much compassion for the young guy. When I look back now, I see him as a different person. And when I meet young men now, or any age men, anyone, but I mean, there's a lot of men coming to the seminars now and I'm giving them hugs, which is something I never thought yeah. I'd be doing, you know, and, and guys coming up in tears that are in that place. Um, and...
0: Do you think it's a societal thing as well?
1: Well, we see it. Uh, Danny Cipriani did a video this week mm. about Caroline Flack. And he said, I think he said something like she she died from embarrassment and shame. And that was where I was at in terms of like just this great sense of shame. I was like, I'm not where I should be and I'm not good enough. And um, obviously we live in a world where pe- people are painting a perfect picture and then they're putting up little bits of, of vulnerability and... I think self-love and like accepting yourself is about accepting all parts of yourself and just being like okay i'm i'm i I'm hard-working and i'm genuine and i'm honest and i'm fun but i'm also lazy and i'm selfish and i'm and, and just not beating yourself up for that not feeling the need Um, you know i look back at the shame that i had back then and it's like i don't know where i put that pressure on myself from but i think it's happening more and more now people are doing it and i think mm. I think to change in any area, you've got to accept where you are. Like someone who berates themselves because they're out of shape, it's very hard to move from that position. But if you can just be like, "Okay, I'm not where I want to be, but I can change," mm-hmm. that gives yourself a bit of freedom. So,
0: I'm assuming now that everything is is fine for you. But I, you know, how have you got to this point where you're not at the point where you were then? You mm. know, obviously it's because things are going well for you, maybe in your mm. career, or. But how did you work on your head and and get out of that rut?
1: Yeah, it was funny because um, I kind of, I've had two big sh- episodes, I suppose. And that was the first. And that was kind of, everything's gone wrong externally, so I have a reason to be sad. And mm. that made sense. It's like, well, you've no job. You, you've you moved back with your parents. You're working in a pizza shop, even though you've got a master's in nutrition. You're meeting people every day that say, oh, I thought you were successful. And you're just like, you're just getting kicked every day. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one was, so I... Off the back of that, I built this business in Galway that started with five clients and went to 25,000 clients in five years. So it was huge, like uh, online clients, books. We raised a quarter of a million for charity um, got to visit 40 countries. Um, did wow. a document. There was a lot that happened in a couple of years. And then I woke up at like 28 and I had bought a house and a car and I had this successful business and people knew who I was down in Galway. And there was a lot that had happened. And I was still a little bit um, lost at that point. When I would go a million miles an hour and I was really busy, I could distract myself from how I felt about myself, you know, by by putting my focus on other people and all this kind of stuff. Then when I would slow down, I went to a psychiatrist and she said, "You're going too fast. You need to slow down." And in my head, I was like, "No, no, 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 no. I'm different. Like yeah. I'm I'm a machine.
0: I'm the same. Yeah, I'm the same." Yeah,
1: and and you know, I think you've heard me tell the example of uh, fight or flight response is the stress response we have in the body, which is there to protect us. And she said to me, you've got this stress response happening all the time. You're always switched on. You're always looking at phones. You're always she said, it's like a smoke alarm in the house where uh, the smoke alarm is useful if there's a fire. The fight or flight response is useful if you're under threat. But if it's going every time you use the toaster, then it's not good anymore. So for me, the fight or flight response was just chronic and it was affecting my sleep. So anyway, at that time, that was more difficult I, mean, I won't say that was more difficult but that was that i was scratching my head because i was saying i have everything like I, I have everything i ever wanted like why do i not feel good now then you really start to question and then i i started making some other changes the big recognition for me at that point was i kept saying i'll be happy when fill in the blank and then i had done all the things that i thought would make me happy and then i started saying when was i happy in the past and i started looking back to the past do my martial arts training more time with friends all this kind of stuff and I just started putting some of that stuff back into my life but I think something I would encourage people is um, you know the Kylan Flack thing last week and suicide in general and and some of these things it's a, a permanent um Solution, if that's the word, to a temporary problem. Mm. So all of our emotions come and go, and when we feel negative emotions, we try to fight them, and we think there's something wrong with it. I try to see it as a wave now. So I still have bad days, and like I can feel anxious, or I feel this, that, and the other. But I just trust that give it a day or two, it's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. And just that simple understanding, you know, uh, suffering and, and real struggle comes from having a thought or having a feeling and thinking this is the way things are going to be forever. But if you can just say, "I need to ride the wave, come out the far side," there are ups and downs in life. Um, I think you can get through it, and and you know you don't need to be going through those places. Thank you, Pat. Sorry for the lack of laughter now on the podcast. <laughs> oh, Jesus
0: no, but that's the that's the beauty. If I say something, it's the beauty of this podcast that I've created. <laughs> it's um that's what it's all about. You know, it's not all about laughter. It's about feeling laughed at. It. It's about no laughing matter moments. So. That was great. Um,
1: this week, our most laughed at <laughs> guest in history. <laughs> this week.
0: <laughs> okay, but uh, the person you always laugh with.
1: Um, Jill Carl is one of my best friends in Galway. Um, she owns a restaurant down in Galway called 56 Central. There's a plug. <laughs> um, when I started, so I moved back to du- from Dublin to Galway um, spent six months in a pizza shop. And then someone encouraged me to start a fitness class and they they just gave me this energy that I didn't have and they were like, You can do it.
0: Did you feel a bit allergic to fitness after the Dublin thing?
1: Um Or were you mm,
0: still into it? But you
1: just I was still into it. My dad told me something that was cheesy but really important in that I was really down in the dumps. Um, obviously working the pizza shop. Um Oh, just everything was bleak, you know. My memories of that were like <laughs> cycling into the pizza shop in the rain because it rains every oh, day in God. Goa, you know. It's just like everything oh, magnificent. God. Oh, it was just like a Waves of
0: Salt Hill washing over you as <laughs> you, <laughs> you cycle. Like.
1: Yeah, like James Blunt or something right in the background. <laughs> um, but my dad said to me, you know, he was trying to help me get out of that slump, but my dad's fairly tough i mean he'll just he'll just say it like it is he doesn't pull any punches and he said the reason you're depressed at the moment is because you're completely in your own head and you're self-obsessed you think your problems and you think you're the only one with problems and it was true to some degree like sometimes when we get down and out we Mm. think we're the only one if you think you're the only one struggling when you go through a breakup like turn on the radio and listen to some ed sheeran because like (laughs) the only songs that play on the radio are love songs and breakup songs so everyone's feeling the same stuff but my dad said, regardless of where you are in life, go and help people. And my mentality at that time was, sure, I've got nothing to help people with. Like, I'm I'm at my lowest point. But then I thought, well, I've got a fitness background. I'm working in a pizza shop. I can do free fitness plans online. And that's how I got my start. So I started doing free plans for people. One guy, 12 weeks after giving him a free plan, sent me a before and after picture, unprompted. And he said, this is my results. And I put that on Facebook. And that got me my first five clients. Wow. But back to your question, yes. uh, my 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 friend. So... Start started this class with five clients and I was just obsessed. I was like, I'm making this work now this time. And five clients lit me up. It gave me so much energy. To other people, that would be failure. But I was like, this is amazing. Mm. And I was putting posters in coffee shops. I was writing articles where they'd, they'd have me. I was trying to get everywhere so people couldn't ignore me down in Galway. And one of my strategies was um, I'll put healthy food menus in all the restaurants. So I'd go into all the restaurants in Galway. I'd be like, hi, do you want the Pat Dively healthy approved menu? they just <laughs> look at me They're like, who is Pat Dively? I'm like, <laughs> in my head, I was like, I've got 500 likes on Facebook. I mean, like, <laughs> who are these people? You know, I don't know this, if
0: you've heard of my this, five clients. But... That, was,
1: that was literally my headspace and walking into coffee shops in my head, and I hope oh, I don't get recognized here. <laughs> but, uh, so I got rejected by pretty much every restaurant in Galway. But one, Jill, was a manager in the restaurant uh, and, and said, Oh, we'd love to do it. And we became close friends. She started training with me. And she left that restaurant and opened her own cafe. And so we've had the same kind of trajectory of growing businesses and taking on staff. And the community was the same. So my people that would come to the gym would go to Jill's cafe and vice versa. So we've had the same journey and we've gone to seminars and conferences and stuff. And I think we both have, she's got about 50 staff. I've got a lot of people coming to seminars. So there's a bit of pressure in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so when we get together, it's just laughter and messing and, and, you know, just forgetting that we're the boss or forgetting that we're, you know, responsible for people. And it's just being kids again so yeah
0: i love that you did that because i think in like go is essentially a town you know as in everyone knows everyone yeah. um so it'll be easy to be overwhelmed and to be too proud to go into places and say
1: oh i was you know what my strategy when i started when i worked in the pizza shop i got five thousand flyers printed and the flyer said drop a dress size in 28 days or i'll give you double your money back I was like, that's going to be, that's how I get people on seats. And I went to every hairdresser and every beautician in Galway. And again, I'm a shy guy th- at this point that like is afraid to talk to people. I'm like, hello, uh, can I drop a few flyers? And they're like, you can train with me for free. Because my mentality was if I get the hairdressers and they get the beauticians in with me, they're meeting dozens of women yeah, every day. And They'll they're, be telling they're them they're all, talking, talking, doing this thing. And yeah, it just became like, it was funny The the thing just took off. Um, there was a funny story about, Couple of guys in a sauna down in Galway, and they were chatting away. Someone overheard this, and they said, "The wife's on this Pat Dively plan, and I've been telling her for years not to eat spuds." And this fellow comes along, and, <laughs> and the other guy's like, "Who's Pat Dively? And He's like, "Oh, he's he's on Oprah or something." <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Someday, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the plan. Okay, Pat. Um, <clears throat> a time where you had the last laugh. Um I
1: started this. <laughs> I started working. Um, when I was young, so I was 13 when I got my first job at gardening and uh, worked full time in a gardening center then when I was 15 for the summers. And I think I was 16 and I got, I was working full time in a gardening center and then I got work in a filling station. And I had worked in the filling station prior to that, so I knew the ropes. But the guy that owned it said to me, "Um, because you have to be trained in, we're gonna pay you, I think it was 350 an hour, it was a tiny amount, it was like half a minimum wage. They're like, that's your trainee fee. because once you're once you once you're trained up, we'll give you a full minimum wage. And so I was like, okay, well, okay, that'll do. The first day I turned up, and they left me there on my own. So there was no training. They just, like, put me behind the till. <laughs> you know, I, there's five pe- petrol pumps going. There's the, looking after the food. And... Um, so I'm on this 350 an hour or whatever it was. The first day they leave me on my own and somebody comes and gets 60 euro petrol and doesn't pay for it and just leaves. So the guy comes back and he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just take it out of your wages. In my head, I'm like, it
0: doesn't even add up. To yeah, like I'm
1: like, I, I think I owe you a tenner, buddy. <laughs> um, so I worked the rest of the week and I was just thinking that's kind of lousy of him. He thought nothing of it. He's just like, you know, just oh, it's not a big deal. I'll just take it out of your way. I'm like, wow. And so at the end of the week came, he goes, good to have you on board. Don't worry about the mess up during the week. You know, we've taken out your wages. It's all good. We're 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 down a couple of staff next week. So we're going to need you in every day. And I'm like, cool No he's happy to have the work. And I start walking home and in my head, I'm like, OK, so I'm, I'm same wage next week. If someone else leaves without paying, I am in. I'm not making any money again. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to work for this guy. So I just didn't turn up the next day and I get a phone call frantically and he's like, where are you? You're supposed to be here. You're in every day this week. I was like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I quit. <laughs> so like happy days. Yeah.
0: Nicely done. <laughs> Have you ever returned to that petrol station?
1: Uh, Yeah, I go there every, every day. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're like it's the only one in the I'm town going,
1: I'm going on a little bit Can you give me a change for a few fifties <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it Okay Pat um, If laughter wasn't the best medicine What would be?
1: Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, <laughs>
0: I'm glad you didn't say Brazilian waxes. <laughs> I didn't know
1: what was well, coming was there Go
0: mentioned. on, go on about jiu-jitsu
1: <laughs> <laughs> Come on, tell us about your little thing that you do um, I uh, yeah, it's funny with jiu-jitsu because I built this audience for years with fitness and it was like a lot of female clients. Um And then I just tend to talk about what I'm into. So like, you know, it would make more sense probably to stick with the fitness stuff. But I just <laughs> tend to. And so I got into jiu-jitsu and people are just like, what is this jiu-jitsu thing? And I'm like, just go and do it. Please go and do it. Um I did it when I was a kid. So when I was 18, like I said, I did martial arts when I was a teenager. When I was 18, I went to America for two summers. So 18 and 19 and i worked full time in a mixed martial arts gym so like a cage fighting gym so i trained three times a day i would clean the mats three times a day and i'd sleep on the mats and that was kind of my life and it was like a spartan life and i loved it and so fast forward 10 years where i've built this business bought the house got the car ticked all the boxes and i'm a little bit lost i was like when was i at my happiest in life and i rewinded back to then i was like i had no money but i enjoyed training and that prompted me to go back at 28 to jujitsu haven't stopped for 10 years. And now it's something for the last three years that I've done five, six times a week. Anywhere I am in the world, I bring my stuff with me. And it's given me mental and physical health. It's given me a sense of community. It's given me friends. It's given me, like, that's something, you know, I do a lot of men's work now. And it's. It, I think women are a lot better at this um, than men. And that's like having social groups and stuff like that. Men, when we come out of college or school, sometimes we're not the best at chatting to people. So it's, it's, I think it's an important part of life, obviously, to have social connections. Mm-hmm. So I train five six times a week, and you know if I'm in Dublin, I'll train in Dublin, and it's a really welcoming community, and it's it's a it's a form of martial arts, but um, it's there's something special in it. I don't know what it is. It's like yoga with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my medicine, and and there's a quote that says Jiu Jitsu saved my life. A lot of people use that, and I would say that's true for me. Jiu Jitsu saved my life. Not in that I wouldn't be here, but. I'm a lot more alive. Like I'm really living now. You're not just I, surviving. Yeah, I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not just on a rabbit wheel. It's given me huge confidence in myself. It's given me, um, you know, when you when you put hard things in, your, when you put difficult things in your life every day, life becomes a lot easier. Like a lot of people that struggle in life are trying to avoid any kind of struggle. You know, they think that mm-hmm. they want a cushy and soft life, but that doesn't work. It's like when I go and, train jiu-jitsu for two hours and it's the last thing in the world I want to do I come back and you have a sense of fulfillment like everyone knows what that's like Mm -hmm. Um, there's a happiness researcher over in the states and he talks about the difference between joy and pleasure I think he puts it and he says like having a pint or eating an ice cream is pleasurable but that's not maybe true happiness whereas running a 5K, you might be cursing and blinding for the first 4K. But when you get it done, you're like, oh, I feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. So I think confidence comes through doing things that are a little bit difficult, doing things when you don't want to do them, doing things in spite of your feelings. And that's jujitsu for me.
0: I thought this might come up throughout the conversation. So I was waiting to see if it would, but it didn't. Ah. So I'm going to bring it up um, before we do a quick fire round. It's just one thing you talk about at bio, and it's about love and the ways in which we show love. And it's the story about your dad. Yeah. And you mentioned the Late Late Show earlier. So would you tell us that?
1: Oh, jeez, <laughs> My dad's going to kill me if he ever hears me tell this story. <laughs> it's a good thing no one's listening to this, Darren.
0: <laughs> I have no <laughs> listeners. It's all right.
1: So one thing, um, I think we're all striving for validation or acceptance or approval from someone um whether we know it or not, like there's like the internal drivers that we're just we want people to tell us they love us or they're proud of us or that we want, you know, it could be society. You see people want to get loads of likes on Facebook. That's a need for validation. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 innate in us. Like one of the fundamental things that we all have is we want to be loved. And that's why, you know, when... Um You know, that's why people are afraid of public speaking, because if I stand up and I say the wrong thing, people won't love me. That's why people are afraid of rejection. If someone says they won't go out with me, what does that mean about me? So years ago, I had a story about a girl that came to a seminar and she there was two things she was working on. One was she wanted to start a family. The other was I will get to the story about my dad. I'm not trying to (laughs) skip over that. (laughs) That One was she wanted to start a family and, and herself and her partner had gone through fertility treatments for years. Just wasn't happening. Her second thing was she wanted to do an MBA. And so i asked her at this retreat i was like what's the story with the mba what's the motivation she said "Oh, i just want to feel like i'm intelligent and i said where does that come from she says well i didn't feel very intelligent when i was young and i said okay well what did that how did that affect you well my brother was intelligent and my brother was closer to my dad and i was like so do you see why you want to do the mba and she's like And the penny dropped. She was like, I'm doing it to annoy my dad. I want to show him, like, grip my teeth and be like, see, I did it. Mm. So she cried and she left that baggage behind her and go away at the retreat. And she went back and pretty quickly after that started a family. So I feel like that blockage allowed her to start a family. And uh, it was funny because I met her a couple of months later with her baby. And she's like, I want you to meet Patrick. And I was just like... (laughs) And I was just like, in my head, I was like, wow, she's after naming a baby after me. Oh, my God. But then she paused and she's like, yeah, Patrick was my dad's name. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my ego. No!
0: Oh, my God. I wish it had been about you. That would be so funny.
1: But, uh. The thing thing about my dad was, I suppose, I recognized that, you know, I think a lot of Irish men and a lot of men in general, you're looking to your dad for approval and and you want to make him proud and you want to live up to whatever he's done in life or whatever else. So I was years, you know, trying to achieve business goals in the hope that like, he's going to be like, I love you and I'm proud of you over that. And it would stress me that he wouldn't say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And um, I come back from a seminar and I'm at this seminar and I see dads hugging each other and stuff like that. I'm like, right, I'm going to tell my dad I love him. And then as I'm driving home, I'm like, this is absolutely terrifying. I was like, I've jumped out of planes. I've done some scary stuff. But telling my dad I love him is 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 terrifying. And so I go back and I'm like, Dad, I I, 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 I love you. And he's like looking at me. He's like, how much have you had to drink? And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> no. And then, um, you know, I go and do the Late Late Show. I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, all oh, my, my people think I'm wise sometimes. I'm like, listen to some of the stories I tell. I'm not a wise man. I make a lot of mistakes come off the Late Late Show and I'm like, okay, I think he's going to tell me I, he's proud of me. And he looks at me and he's like, you didn't say it's so a stupid, no, so that's, that's a good result. like, <laughs> like oh, stop. Uh-huh. But the biggest realisation I've yeah. had over the last couple of years has been completely transformative was, and I feel embarrassed almost now for the way I tried to change who he was and tried to change how he showed up in the world. Mm-hmm. I came to see that throughout my life he's shown me love in a million different ways that I couldn't see because I was so blinded by it having to be a certain way. So a lot of us have, all of us have a story about what love looks like. If I grow up watching Disney movies, maybe my idea of romance or love is the princess and the prince and I love you and all this kind of stuff. And if I spend my life looking for that and I'm not getting that I'll get really stressed and I'll feel hard done by but if I can widen my perspective and look for the ways maybe the other person has shown me love one thing with Irish men if you go back a couple of generations the guys were at war and so they had to emotionally shut down and then that dad passes that on to his son and his Mm -hmm. son passes it on to this son and so they show love in different ways like I grew up my dad would teach me how to play hurling when he I'm sure he was tired and stressed and didn't want to do that when I was a kid when I was in secondary school my dad helped me with maths grinds because I I didn't feel academic you know when I had my night in Dublin where I completely lost. My dad drove to Dublin um, it, it, he just loved me and showed me love in so many different ways. And that was a big relief um, because when you stop chasing, it, there's a book called Five Regrets. Uh, what is it? Five Regrets of the Dying. And the lady spent 30 years with people on their deathbed and recognizes five common regrets that people have. And the first one is I wish I'd lived a life for me rather than someone else or the life someone else expected of me. And when you can let go of trying to change how people are, and trying to get their love and whatever it is and you can just you, then you can allow yourself to do ho- what you want to do so I think when I let go of that I stopped chasing things thinking oh he's gonna mm-hmm. tell me he loves me and I was just like he already loves me he shows it in different ways and I just need to be open to that and um, and people still come to seminars and they come up at the end and they're like my dad's the exact same and I'm like it's like the love songs thing uh, and the feelings thing mm-hmm. you, you feel shame and you think it's it's just you that feels it everybody feels it Um You think your dad's the only one or your mum's the only one that acts in a certain way. Uh, But we all have the same things. And the things that we try to hide the most sometimes, coming back to shame, embarrassment, guilt, all these things. These things live in the dark. So shame lives in the dark, guilt lives in the dark. And if it lives in the dark too long, you end up in a horrible place. And so you just need to bring it into the light by talking about it, by expressing yourself, by getting help and all this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's the story of my dad.
0: A new thing I've started to do, if I'm mulling over something and if it's driving me insane in my head for days... Sometimes I'll just be driving along in the car and I'll just go, okay, Darren, let's just talk it out. (laughs) And I'll just talk to myself out loud and say all the things I've been thinking. And it completely takes the power away.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if it's um, not to
0: someone, it's just out in the air.
1: Yeah. It's, there's, there's something in, there's something in verbalizing things. Yeah. you say things out loud? You've been to the seminars. Sometimes I get people to talk to other people yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, they dread it. <laughs> yeah. But when you stand up and like we do exercise where we do reflection, okay, where do you feel you are in the different areas of life? Okay. So I write down where I am and then I stand up, go meet someone, tell them where you are. Okay. I'm doing really well in fitness. I'm not, I'm struggling a little bit with career. Just saying that out loud yeah. is like acceptance of where you are. It's yeah. like, it doesn't hide anymore. It's out in the air. Now you can change
0: I'd say this will be the most uh, tear-jerking episode passion, if I say so myself
1: it's just I'm sorry guys a, it's been beautiful <laughs> okay
0: can we do our quick fire round
1: let's do it I'll try to be funny on this
0: <laughs> it's not about being funny okay um, you're the actor or actress you always love it
1: um, I think they're called the Jutang clan is that what the boys call themselves <laughs> the, uh, Seth, uh, Seth is that, is that, I think that's their name Seth Rogen Jonah Hill
0: is that what they call them I too? think so
1: I hope so Jutan <laughs>
0: Oh, my God. OK, great. The movie you always laugh at? Uh, super bad. Yes.
1: I, I saw that for the first time in the cinema years ago in San Diego when I was out doing my cage fighting thing. And yeah, that was the first time I'd laugh out loud stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you're a reader?
1: I'm a reader. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you read funny books?
1: Um, I don't know if there is such a thing as a funny book. Yeah,
0: I'm gonna take that question out. No one seems to read <laughs> any funny
1: books. <laughs> I've got so many books in my house, I have no funny books.
0: I think my mom was the only one who answered that when I had her on. She was like, Maeve Pinchy. Oh my god, so funny. Uncle. Uh, <laughs> the comedian you always love it.
1: I like Peter Kay. Um you know Peter Kay? Yeah. I like how he just <sighs> I think there's a gift in being able to make people resonate with things that are just everyday, like where they can, when people can verbalize something that you feel or you think. That's what I try to do with my talks. But like, he's a comedian that, it's one of those again. He talks about his nan, or he talks about. I don't know, trying to get coverage back in the day on the phone. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I've been there. I didn't realize anyone else was there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, dummy. We're all in this. <laughs> we're all the same.
0: <laughs> Michael McIntyre is very good at that as well. He has one sketch about the man drawer, you know, like a drawer that every man has. It's like with the most random stuff in it. You like a plug yeah. and a batteries, yeah. random pens. Screwdriver. But yeah, it's the mundane stuff. And That's, finally, oh, sorry.
1: I've got one for you on the comedy oh, yeah, go on. I decided at one point I was going to do, I wanted to do stand up comedy. And uh, I announced it at a seminar, I was like, I'll see you guys next year for this seminar and I'll have done a stand up. And some girl come up at the end. She's like, oh, I'm going to do I'm going to do stand up, too. Let's keep each other accountable. Forgot about it. Six months later, I bump into the girl randomly in Carrick and Chan. And she's like, I'm doing my my stand up tonight. Like, when's yours? And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I didn't follow through on that <laughs> at all. So I contacted a comedy coach and an acting coach in Dublin. And uh, we said we'd go for a coffee. And we went for coffee here in Dublin. And the guy sat opposite me and he goes, you're an actor. And I said, no, no, I've never done acting. He goes, you're an actor. And I said, no, no, no. He says, if you had the right role, you'd be a good actor. And I was like, "Okay, thank you. And he goes, will you do a scene with me right now? And I was like, how do you mean? We're just sat in this restaurant. And he slams down on the table. He goes, Why would you do that? No. And I just like panic. I'm like, What do I do? I'm like, I'm like Because you upset me. And we just start roaring at each other for like five minutes. Oh my <laughs> God. It's I was so just, weird. I was just so freaked out. I was like, I don't know what to do. And eventually he's like, Seen. And he goes, Very good, very good. We can work with this. And I was like, All right.
0: And did you do it?
1: Did the comedy? Yeah. No, I'll do um, it someday.
0: Okay. <laughs> and finally, Pat. Uh, Your best or worst joke?
1: I'm glad uh, I was on a mountain last week because I had no jokes prior to last week. Now I've got one. Um, So shout out to Fiona for this one. I'm going to mess it up. (laughs) Go for it. What do you call cheese that is my cheese? What? Nacho cheese. (laughs) (laughs) You got to laugh at your own jokes. (laughs) I hope I did that That's right. That's perfect.
0: <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. That's Pat-tively. my best joke.
1: I don't know what my worst is. <laughs> thank you.
0: Pat thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the laughs of your life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Theran Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios.